and welcome to Feed and Flourish, the bite-sized podcast series from the Closters Forum with me, Hannah McInnes. In this series, I'll be talking to experts about biodiversity and about ways in which we can transform our food systems in order to positively preserve our planet. The Closters Forum brings together thought leaders and decision makers in the Swiss Alps to inspire discussions and cultivate collaborations around some of the world's most pressing environmental challenges. Hi, my name's Tom Hunt. I'm an eco-chef and food writer and author of new cookbook, Eating for Pleasure, People and Planet. And I've made it my life's mission to help us eat to save the planet. Exactly that. I mean, you've certainly made it your life's mission. You are the archetypal eco-chef. But I don't know, was there ever a time where you were just a chef without the eco side of it? Or were those two things born together they were born together I mean I started cooking when I was a kid um and but I became a chef when I was invited to cook with a eccentric chap called Ben Hodges who was then living in Bridport at his mobile organic cafe Henry's Beard and we we toured around the festivals this is like 97 98 and, and, and onwards and we'd tour around the British music festivals and then kind of end up in some country estate cooking a wedding for 200 people and then go back to some kind of muddy Glastonbury or something like that. And uh, it, I mean, the focus of that cafe was kind of seasonality and organic food. I mean, Ben knew what good food was then. And, and, and like now, you know, that's what everyone's doing. You know, seasonality is paramount. If you're going to cook good food, then... Then, and you're going to be a good restaurant. You you have a seasonal menu, um, but I mean, I think he, they Henry's Beard was probably the only ever organic certified cafe, uh, festival cafe, and maybe even wedding catering business. Who knows? But that was in '97, and we were talking about all the things that we're discussing these days in terms of kind of animal welfare and and the importance of better farming methods and so on and so forth. So that was my introduction to to cooking. And so now thinking back, it was just clearly always part of my food journey. But I mean, the turning point I always note within an interview is is kind of cooking with Tristram Stewart in 20, uh, 2011, um, creating a feast for 200 people using food waste. Tristram Stewart being the author of Global Food Waste Scandal and really the guy who who t- tipped the world off to, to the Global Food Waste Scandal and made everyone aware of the grotesque amount of food that we're wasting and the, the implications of that environmentally. He was, in fact, one of the first guests on this podcast, so thank you for a great plug but you, as you say, you've been moving in this world and active in this world since the 90s, the world of food and sustainability. Then you were rather on your own. And now you're singing with a huge choir. I mean, I don't think it can be disputed. There's been a change in mindset over the years. But do you think there's been real change that that's translated into real change in behaviour or even policy change? Absolutely. I mean, the world's changing, that's for sure. Not quick enough, maybe not, 
Um, and, you know, there's a lot of greenwashing going on out there or token efforts of sustainability. But there's certainly um, a real kind of landslide and, and change in opinion and common agreement globally around the the importance of climate change, but also food's impact on that. The kind of food has a huge part to play on, you know, keeping up our own, our environment and supporting biodiversity and all these things. And, and it's known by the scientists and government and food policymakers around the world. And as we see this kind of shift towards a green economy, that these are all considerations that, that government are making. So when you think of biodiversity, which is something I know you do think of a lot, that occupies a lot of your time and your work, where do you think we most urgently need to be making changes to our food systems, to the way we cook, to the way we eat? I know there are a number of different things, but can you isolate one area that you think is most important most important to you, perhaps? At the end of the day, sustainability is a huge subject. And I've tried to cover it in as much depth as I could possibly in, in my cookbook and through breaking it down into an actionable manifesto. But it, there's some, I mean, there's some real key, easy wins. And I mean, food waste is one of them. And that's why it was such a great topic to begin this kind of I see you know this the um the work Tristram and, and other people did on food waste back in from kind of 2010 or the kind of even earlier than that as something that op- it was a gateway it, it enabled us it gave us something tangible and enabled us to talk about these kind of more complex issues around sustainability because why do we want to waste less food? Because of all the resources that have gone into producing that food, really, and the, the impact that has on the environment is just astronomical. So the biggest win still now is to look at our waste streams and whether that's in the home or in a business where it's obviously kind of far more important because you may be feeding thousands or millions of people which is simply a multiplication of that, the impact. Um, but, I mean, the other, the other big win, obviously, is reducing our meat consumption and eating more plants. Um, and, of course, eating better meat that has been farmed using regenerative practices wherever possible. So the, the crux of my, what I call, root-to-fruit manifesto really is that by reducing our waste and eating more plants, we can create a budget to buy better quality ingredients and support those farms that we want to support, that are, are, that are really practicing these agroecological farming methods and are really looking at improving soil health and biodiversity and, and ticking all the boxes that need to be ticked if we're going to create a sustainable food system. But can everyone realistically eat that way? I feel like I'm so boring and I say the same thing on every podcast to almost every guest, which is that it's of course ideal that way of eating, a sustainable way of eating local, seasonal, organic foods. But 
it's not realistic for so many people. If you're time-pressed, if you're on a budget, it's not an accessible, easy way to eat or to cook or to shop. Yeah, and I'm hyper aware of that question too. So it's really, it's always been at the forefront of my mind within my work, kind of developing the Root to Fruit Manifesto over the last 10 years. The two key barriers that people always cite are time and money. And, you know, you're either, <laughs> you're, you're either time poor or you're just put plain poor or both. And, and it's, and everyone seems to be in that situation to some extent, um, even if it's just in, the, even if it's, if, if it's just superficial and they, and it's in their head. So it's something that's really important to address. And obviously so many people are in, in a difficult situation um, economically in this country um, and, and around the world. So it's really important. Now, I think there's also, though, a lot of misconceptions about how uh, eating well, eating well doesn't have to cost you more money, basically. I mean, within reason. If you're going to eat a complete nutritional diet and not, I mean, sadly, some people have to survive off so little money that they can only afford kind of heavily processed, low nutrition food, which sadly will result in some form of malnourishment. And that's, you know, poverty, as I've said, is a huge problem in the UK. But for, for people who spend the I can't remember what the average spend is on food but it it does allow enough to buy reasonable quality fruit and vegetables and and whole grains and and so by reducing your waste and eating more plants eating more whole foods you're you're reducing the the cost of your shopping there's no doubt about it i mean there's there's times in my life when i have to shop I'm, I'm able to shop at the local farmer's market and, and down at the, uh, uh, what's the bulk buy shop down the road. When, and there's times when I have to shop in the supermarket. And ironically, I end up spending a lot more when I'm shopping at the supermarket because I'm buying those value added products that the supermarket is made up of. Like at, at least 80% of a supermarket or conventional food shop is made up of these value-added value items that are heavily, in the majority, heavily processed and actually more expensive. Some of them are very cheap and the cheapest way to eat is certainly those kind of heavily processed uh, kind of items. But actually, if you can put enough time aside to cook simple very simple meals using slightly better raw ingredients there's no doubt about it that your average weekly spend will be lower than if you were kind of shopping um indulgently within the supermarket and buying all of those other products now another really important thing is actually when you start to buy slightly better quality ingredients or you're able to cook them more simply and so your your dinner could be the most simplest thing that would be quicker to to make than reheating a, a ready meal out of the freezer. Um, but it's also uh, you know about taking um, an interest in our food and and where it comes from and and that healthy knowledge 
that you can gain from that and the pleasure that you can gain from that knowledge. Exactly. Pleasure is a word that comes up a lot. It's in the title of your book, uh, Eating for Pleasure, People and Planet. But I know it's pleasure in a different way. We're often thinking of pleasure around food to do with what you say, being full and, and eating a lot. But pleasure for you around food what is that? What does that mean? And how does it tie in with sustainability? Well, how can a diet be sustainable unless it's pleasurable? You just wouldn't eat it, would you? I mean, it needs to be something you enjoy. And I mean, yes, I, I don't mean <laughs> gorging on pizza and cake and, and, and so on, even though it's great to do that as a treat every now and again, if that's what you fancy. I mean, taking real pleasure from getting to know your food and where it comes from and why it tastes delicious and through you know I mean as a chef it comes quite naturally to me but and as a food lover I am really excited by discovering a new vegetable or recipe or technique um, and and I take great pleasure from from that um and i i mean i like to think of it like a um someone who is learning about wine or or um even kind of a connoisseur of fine cigars you're 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 taking a greater depth of knowledge from that food through learning about it through kind of understanding the ingredients and the importance of their origin it's really interesting. I mean, in many ways, now is a better time than any for that, isn't it? People are looking for, for new ways to keep their minds occupied, new projects, new things to delve into. Not because it's January, that as well, but also with lockdown. So perhaps now is a really good time for those discoveries. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it is. It's that, it's that time of year and people don't necessarily just want to make New Year's resolutions of kind of being healthy or doing more exercise there's there's kind of more interesting resolutions to take around improving your impact on the planet on the planet too and learning about food and improving your knowledge um it's yeah it's quite it is it is i mean at the end of the day it's about fun and enjoying food and and uh and support it while supporting people and the planet and for me they go hand in hand. I love how you describe it as a learning adventure almost a geeky exploration of food and I think I'm not saying people have huge amounts of time on their hands at the moment of course many people are burdened with homeschooling and are pulled in all sorts of directions but I do think there's an appetite for that sort of thing at the moment. Look at the sourdough craze in the last lockdown I think it feels like an exciting prospect learning more about your food where it comes from your vegetables that sort of thing it's a really positive way of looking at it which I know is what you are all about the positive possibilities of food and the role they play in the environment and how without sounding too cheesy how food can be the savior yeah yeah um I think in, in many ways it is I mean food is so many things isn't it i mean it's uh, we say at the chef's manifesto uh and and a un initiative that i'm involved with um or world food program initiative um that food is 
life you know you can put any word after food and it makes sense food is community food is love food is pleasure food is um ill health i mean it's it's and that that's something else for me that that is so important when it comes to diet and the book and how i wrote it and that is the synergies between good good personal and planetary health and and the food that we eat and how that has every impact um and it tends to be that as a rule of thumb that food is that's better for you and more nourishing is better for the planet in your book there's a section about biodiversity very specifically with food as a taste experiment perhaps you could explain that Oh, yeah. So, I mean, why do we want to reduce our waste? Why do we want to eat sustainably to support the environment and all of the life that we have on Earth? Essentially, biodiversity, whether it's kind of the health of our soils or the diversity of plants that are growing within the world or or animals and, and, and you know, flora and fauna. So, it's biodiversity and supporting biodiversity is one of the reasons really that we eat want to eat better and we can do that through through well supporting better farming and buying food that's been farmed regeneratively or, or organically which i mean there's there's papers out there that say that organic farms have up to 50% more wildlife on them and then of course the better the farm the the more diverse it becomes um and we can explore biodiversity through our food because each and every kind of species that we eat ha- is a is that the biodiversity there in, in front of us and chocolate like wine is a really exciting way to explore eating for pleasure but also eating biodiversity because you've got this huge variety of different species of cacao trinitario cacao and each one has a very unique flavor and then depending on its origin where it was grown country to country uh jungle to jungle like literally one side of a hill to another it's going to taste differently because of so many different factors like terroir when it comes to wine and so i've got what i call a, bio, a biodiversity chocolate experiment in the book with a very simple chocolate water ganache truffle that i've made or or written to be as simple as possible so it's all about tasting the cacao so it's the only ingredients are water and salt the the, the water is a carrier i don't know have you ever tried chocolate sorbet it's so yeah. much more intense than chocolate yeah. ice cream, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. taking that idea and then adding a pinch of salt to intensify the flavours further, I've written this recipe for a single origin chocolate truffle. And the I, I take the reader through uh, a kind of list of how to taste. And really, it's a, it's almost like a meditation. I do this as a workshop sometimes as well. And I take I literally take people like on a meditation and ask them to close their eyes and and describe the the jungle 
uh, or region where the chocolate is that from the truffle they're about to eat. But you can do this at home quite simply um, by buying a single origin chocolate, maybe even researching a little bit about where it came from. Um, in the supermarkets, Willie's Cacao is single origin and they, they even tell you some of the farms that it's come from. And you can just learn a little bit about the region and it just starts to open your mind as to how um, really terroir affects the flavour of our food. But chocolate and wine are quite highbrow examples of that. Actually, something as humble as a turnip growing in one field to the next will in the same way taste differently, depending on so many factors, including the farming method. So a conventionally grown turnip in one field, um, 500 yards from an organically grown one or something else might taste completely different and but also have a different kind of nutri nutritional content. Again, it all sounds like a very exciting, interesting, engaging way of looking at food, of interacting with food. And it's why I keep coming back to the fact that it feels like now when we really need to look for the pleasure in every day, this way of looking at food and mealtimes is really perfect and, and, and needed and can provide real escapism and, and something to look forward to in, in every day. I mean, you say that you can genuinely create real change, though, in the kitchen. I'm sure it's hard to isolate just a few ways of doing that, but perhaps you can for the sake of listeners. I know you articulate your ideas in your Guardian column, for example. What are your top tips and suggestions then? Yeah, well, I, I'm glad you mentioned the Guardian column, actually, because I covered the chocolate recipe in the, in the column at some point. So listeners, you might be able to find it if you Google uh, Tom Hunt Guardian chocolate. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Guardian column is like super practical. I try and like expand on the topic of food sustainability wherever I can, but it's each week taking a different ingredient or root to fruit ingredient, an odd or end, uh, or teaching people really how to reduce their waste. So, I mean, I've just been writing today one on cooking with a whole celeriac. Now, if you can, if you're lucky enough to be able to get to either a farmer's market or order a veg box, you might find yourself with a whole celeriac with the kind of tendril like roots at the base and then a bush of celery leaves at the top. And all of that's edible and all of that's also waste when it gets disposed of pretty much every other time. So whenever we're able to kind of tap into the hot and eat the whole plant from root to fruit, it's an exciting new way to eat. So in this particular recipe, I um, I talk a bit about this restaurant in Paris that served the tendrils kind of like meticulously cleaned. I've never gone to that extent myself. But what I don't do is ever peel a um, celeriac. I've every ever every other person I I know does, but it's completely unnecessary. Some of the kind of real soily nooks and crannies around the base you could kind of carve out, but the skin itself is totally edible and delicious, as are the leaves, which are just like a more kind of potent celery. So in this recipe, 
I've taken one the probably the most popular recipe in the book, a Swede pretending to be a ham, and I've I've done a whole roast celeriac pretending to be a ham. So it's in the oven now. It's it's been roasting for an hour and a half very slowly with the skin on, very well washed, of course. And I've scored it and studded it with some cloves, and I'm about to, after this call, um, smother it in muscovado sugar and mustard until it's kind of bubbling and and sweet, so that it can be served for our dinner, carved at the table just like a ham, uh, or sliced and put in a sandwich like a cold cut. <laughs> oh my goodness! It sounds absolutely delicious. My mouth is watering. You have it masquerading as a ham because you think meat is something we need to really cut down on, I assume, and we can eat just as well a diet full of vegetables. But what are your thoughts? I know you think probably moved around as a lot of people have over the years. Where have you arrived at now on what we should be doing meat-wise? Well, I think everyone is in agreement uh, scientifically around the need to eat less meat and eat better meat for well, not just environmental reasons, but for reasons, important reasons of animal welfare. Um, and that's, you know, that's the consensus I, I side with. And that's why Eat Mostly Plants is one of the kind of the important sections of, of my cookbook. And that's why the book is really vegan first. So it's the book, every recipe in the book is is plant-based, but flexible. So you can use where it says yogurt, you can use plant-based yogurt, or you can use dairy yogurt. Um, there's no there's no meat in the book at all, and that's because I think we, you know, there's enough books on meat. We know how to cook with meat, and it's time we continued to explore the incredible wealth and diversity of seasonal vegetables that we have available to us. And I, I mean, it pushed, I, to be honest, it was a challenge because writing you know, hundreds of vegan recipes, you have to start learning kind of new techniques and ways to use ingredients. So there's, there's an olive oil brioche. I mean, I only cook with whole foods. I'm a whole food plant-based chef first. There's some flexibility within that. I write some meat recipes for the Guardian and things like that. But for me, whole food is as important as or actually sorry whole foods and a whole food diet is way way more important than a plant-based diet when it comes to health but also for many many environmental reasons and whole Um, foods for those for those people who sometimes get confused because it can be confusing whole foods are foods that have gone through essentially no process they are just the food as it was yeah or minimally processed there's there's degrees of processing if you Pedants would say, yeah, but, you know, what do you mean you can't, you know, ferment, ferments are processed and that's fine. So it's, it's minimally processed foods um, that are so much better for us. But also I'm taking that word under a new context, under my root to fruit kind of zero waste idea. That's one reason why I've committed one key reason i mean i the more i learn about food the more i see how important organic farming is and and better and the more i see how important it is to eat whole foods because of our because of our health really and because those more processed foods whether it's kind of white pasta or 
or um yeah heavily processed foods like i don't know <laughs> um mr whippy ice cream and they're obviously not not as good or nutritious for us and and the same goes for in from that zero waste perspective whole foods um meat like we were talking about meat i mean eating the whole animal is is really important and is gonna improve your environmental impact or improve the impact of of us collectively um and um yeah i mean the same goes for grains uh, and all these things like really grains are um wheat is polished and all of the nutrition the bran and the germ is disposed of or, or used for pillowcases or fed to animals and you're left with this kind of new like nutrient kind of energy rich nutrient low food stuff that makes our white bread and and things like that that lasts a long time on the shelf but it doesn't really give us the micronutrients that we need to flourish as human beings and whilst wasting you know so it's 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 this kind of like deeper philosophy and idea around kind of what whole foods are and what they can do for us as a society i mean we lack fiber and i mean fiber is not kind of thought of as a sexy subject is it like but actually it's it's something that we lack in our diets massively and by eating root from root to fruit practicing complete consumption and eating these whole foods you're you're putting all of that nutrition back can i just ask to to finish off you've obviously watched a lot of trends come and go over the years when you look forward what do you think we should be looking out for in terms of upcoming trends and in terms of the momentum good question i mean the momentum i'd like to see would be for this perhaps oversimplified conversation about meat and plants to to dig a little deeper and start to think more about the the systems that have produced that food and and the importance of those systems and a drive from conventional agriculture and from the top down hopefully inspired from the bottom up to for those conventional systems to improve their practices and to learn from the better agroecological farms so that they can really start to to make the changes we need to see happening tom thank you so much you've given such a great deal of practical advice which i love and just to finish off for people who are listening what would you say they could go away and do immediately right now in their own homes what first one simple change could they make it is reducing your waste so dig around in your compost bin uh if you haven't got one that is number one get a compost bin even if you have to get a wormery in your very small front garden and turn that waste into soil because soil is the stuff of life and it's the it's really closing the loop and it will feed your house plants and and pots in the front of the house or herbs or whatever you're growing nutritious uh nutrition uh and and good soil obviously and then it if 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 but then going back again, looking through your compost bin, if you can reduce what's going in there and experiment with the the things you're throwing away, think about them a little bit differently and think, 
hang on a minute, is this lemon husk edible or did I really need to peel that vegetable? Because you're throwing money away at the end of the day. That's kind of, if you peel something, I've I've weighed it. I peeled a cucumber the other day and it was 20% of the cucumber once I'd taken off the skin and de-seeded it, which lots of recipes call for. Um, so it's it's reducing your waste. Um, but to give you something new, I would say try it's this is um about a value shift and us really thinking about the real the true value of our food and what it means not only for us and our families and our happiness and and the joy that we can experience around the dinner table but the the impact that has around the world through what the farms that we're supporting so if we're buying tiger prawns from stripped mangroves that are farmed by slaves you you're connected to that system and we can feel disenfranchised or disempowered because we're such a kind of we're small part but collectively we can create real change and also i always say that you'll by supporting a small day boat and fishermen if you want to eat prawns that's going off uh the the cornish coast in britain you are you're you're not just a small part of that person's income actually or or a farmer that's growing that has a two acre plot and kitchen garden you're really you become a really important important part of that community and that that yeah i mean broader community i mean for me food community starts around the dinner table and I think that's why I cook today because we we ate around the table every evening. Um, but you're also part of an ever expanding community of people that are connected through your food system and the way that you eat. Tom, thank you so much. Brilliant chatting to you. Thank you. Great talking to you. Thanks so much, Hannah. Mm-hmm.